The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of its hosts, guests, or callers, and do not necessarily represent the opinions of WTBR-FM, its management, other producers, or sponsors. science fiction, fantasy, mythology, and stories that we hope you'll be interested in. This is your host, Beverly Prentice, and I have two short stories to read for you today. And the first one comes from Mike Jack Stumbos, S-T-O-U-M-B-O-S, it's the author's name, and the title is The Squid is My Brother. Dear Mother, got in my first fight at school today, wasn't my fault. Happened in art class, was instructed how to draw, am familiar, not infant, was given wild flower. Asked teacher if I could draw something from home biome instead. Raised hand, obtained permission, just like in the vids. Would have made you proud. Teacher accepted. Said something about cultural diversity. Then was given supplies. Markers of limited spectra. Did not object. Did not argue. Only invited brother to change my vision filters. Did not even make a sound. Brother reached out of backpack, suctioned one true arm against my left temple, then put amorphous arm over my eyes, just like you taught me. Achieved seal was adjusting vision when heard shriek from nearby table partner. Perhaps should have used audio filters instead. Native Earth Girl, Phew, and put away that monster. I did not understand. Neither did Brother, but both felt hard to explain. Perhaps we'll learn word, but new concept. Never experienced until Earth, and never so strong as today. Brother retreated, pulled, closed backpack. Put my own head down. But native earth girl called teacher making chirping noises. I didn't listen. Teacher asked nicely that I keep brother put away. Only teacher doesn't say brother. Says xenoorg. Like a dirty word. Like refuse from science experiment. I asked why another student, short boy, gets to wear eye filters. Teacher says not to make fun of glasses. Children laughed. No, not laugh. Snicker. Laugh employs joy. Later, at the recreation break, Native Earth Girl approached with others, said something I didn't understand, then snickered again. When I turned to walk away, she grabbed the backpack, saying, Don't need backpack for recess. Felt brother clenched to hold on to my spine, readied my muscles and pumped adrenaline. Brother would have slipped out of the pack to stay with me, but rules about brother and the backpack. So I spun, held tight to the backpack strap with one hand, hit with the other. Not intended to damage, did not account for added strength from brother. Not my fault little native earth girls don't train in variable gravity. Not my fault they weren't taught not to grab or touch other people or their symbiotes. Had to apologize to teacher, to principal, then to girl when she woke up. Then to girl's family. 
had to keep brother completely enclosed in backpack so they would not be offended, had to apologize again for telling them. Concussion builds character. No scientific basis for that, just something you, mother, said once to an ensign, thought it was amusing. Host family had the talk with me. Male caretaker insists he's not mad, just disappointed. Female caretaker had to explain what that meant. Told me to write a letter to you to tell you what I'd done. Truth. I feel bad about little girl. She didn't know about hole in backpack or that brother is always connected to me. Did not feel bad about teacher, principal, or little girl's family, even if they said something about ambassador and called you Commander Kessler a hero. Miss you. Hope you are safe. Glad I have brother. Not sure if I understand purpose of exchange program. Perhaps when older. Love, Michaela Kessler. P.S. Male caretaker read before I sent advised running through grammar program to fill in sentences. Declined. No need for superfluous pronouns and articles. When meaning is clear, just like you taught me. I really hope my second day of school goes better. Can't say I like it, though, and it doesn't seem to like me. Me plus earth school equals opposite of symbiosis. Not that any of the students here would know symbiosis if it latched onto their intestine. I wonder if it's just D.C. schools. Maybe Cape Carnival is better. Sounds more fun. We'll have to ask Charlie the next time we call. Charlie is older, probably has more interesting things to study. Maybe with kids who are different. Still, I wake in the morning. Brother helps my respiration rate change for consciousness. I wash and dress, line up the hole in the back of my shirt for brother. I eat real eggs from a species called farm-raised. I like the eggs, and so does brother. I am always careful putting on my backpack. Have to be. The hole is big enough for him, and he can squeeze through a pretty small space as it is. But if he's pinched, then I get twinges all down my left side. So I slip on the modified pack, and brother knows to pull all his arms in. Brother doesn't object, but I could tell he'd rather be free or in pressure suit. Female caretaker says it's just because it's what I'm used to, and that I'll adjust. I keep backpack on and open when riding to school. Caretakers know better, don't object. I keep backpack on and closed in class. Teacher knows, but sounds strange when reminding other students as if not really believing or not wanting to talk about brother. Reading class is annoying but tolerable. Brother wants to read, upset that he can't join me, and I'd remember better if brother were there to help me record it. Brother misses seeing, can't see as well in the backpack, and no as I try to explain to caretakers, can't see through my spine. Spine doesn't have eyes. Brother can hear, though, better than me. Retains vibrations. Passes a little information, like passing notes in class. Tells me who is snickering, who is whispering. They wonder what happens if I take off the backpack. Why I am so tall, if I'm so young whether I have special powers. Mostly, they wonder about what brother really looks like, and they make shiver noises. Sometimes I slowly turn to look at them and grin, because they don't think I can hear them, like a real horror victim. Mother would probably tell me that it's not good to do that. She would say, don't encourage them. I don't go out to recess anymore. Teacher lets me stay in. During recess, I open book to show brother the pictures. 
Brother climbs far enough out of backpack, finds my temple, and wraps one arm over my shoulder. Hear teacher's breathing change to gasping, panting. See teacher clutching at chest. Immediately wonder about oxygen intake. But have to remember that Earth is a naturally oxygen-rich world, and that classroom has non-sealed exterior door. Elementary school standard, I am told. No, teacher is having panic attack. No medical danger. Teacher says, Micah. Never ask permission to use short name. Micah, put it away. Her voice shakes. Her jaw quivers. I do not mean to cry. Not a logical response. Not expressing pain. Calling for mother or purging toxins from body. Just sad. Mother would say, no use. Mother would still hug. But tears come out of tear ducts anyway. Go straight down both cheeks on account of fixed-point gravity. Teacher's expression changes. She approaches, begin to say my name, then eyes widen. She stiffens and collapses. I find this confusing. Meanwhile, brother finishes collecting tears from my cheeks, can use the salt and moisture, natural reaction, apparently terrifying to teacher. Wonder if representative of all teachers... I can't have it in my classroom, says teacher. Doesn't lower voice, assumes I cannot hear because separated by wall. Does not understand how attuned Neptunians are to vibrations, obviously, brother hears. The chair in the waiting room is deep enough that the backpack has room. My toes scrape the orange carpet as I swing my feet. Well, clearly there need to be some boundaries communicated, said Principal in funny voice, harder to understand. No other children are allowed to bring pets into the classroom, says teacher. It's not a pet, says a third voice I don't place. We're talking about her symbiote, and she can't just... And we have to look at this like a seeing-eye dog kind of thing, interrupts Principal. Third voice, softer, understanding. I think even that is to... Look, teacher, I can't have it in my classroom. I'm sorry, I can't. I mean, I can't even look at cooked squid. Switcher. Well, principal, I wasn't able to get her host family on the phone to make anything official, but let's make some alternate arrangements today, okay? Can you... Check in with her and... Sure. Third voice. Teacher and principal exit office. Opening door right in front of me. Brother is completely out of sight, but teacher won't look at me. Principal gives a smile. Fake. They both walk away. Third voice appears at the door, looks down at me, also smiles. Hopefully less fake. Micah, he says, do you want to come in? I stand, keeping one hand on my backpack strap, and walk into the office. He shuts the door behind me. Office is simple. Not much lighting. All drawers need keys. All cupboards have latches. The one plant is a succulent. Other than the gravity-hung pictures, kinds of reminds me of home station. It sounds like you had a bit of a rough morning, Micah, he says. He is large, not just tall, but broad. Not right shape for spacesuit. He arranges a chair that is shorter and gestures for me to sit in it. I do not object. I'm sorry, he says. I'd like to talk with you about it, if that's okay. I look around the room. I do not have anything to say yet. Brother frets from inside the backpack. I don't know which of us is more nervous. My name is Mr. Royce. Do you remember me? He asks. I nod. You signed me up for class. I did. Do you know what my job is? Staff sergeant, I guess. He chuckles, a friendly kind of laugh. Brother relaxes. Not exactly. I'm called a counselor. 
and I have two jobs. One is to register students for classes, and the other is to talk to people if they're having a rough day. Oh. Now, Micah, he pauses, changes expression. Do you like to be called Micah? Michaela, I stammer, giving my longer name. I don't. My cheeks get really warm. For a moment, I worry I might cry. Mother and friends call me Micah. Oh, thank you for letting me know, Michaela. Is there anyone else here you've asked to call you Micah? Clever. He's asking if I have friends yet. I shake my head no. Just the caretakers. Your host family. I nod. I bet everything feels pretty different right now, Mr. Royce says. It's hard to know what you can say and do and who you can talk to. Well, you can talk to me. You can ask me or tell me about anything you want, and I won't get mad. I might not be able to answer everything right away, but I won't get mad, okay? I nod again, but don't look right at him. He waits, and I wait, and I try not to cry. You know, even grown-ups have trouble saying what they want to sometimes. I am not sure if I should nod. I heard that you're a great writer. He selects a miniature notebook and pencil. What if you just took some time to jot down anything you're feeling, like a diary entry, just for you? Don't worry about it sounding perfect or even making sense. Nobody needs to read it but you. But afterward... Maybe you'll have some idea of things that you want to talk about. He slides the child's tools across to me. Charlie would remind me that I am a child, that I'm the youngest of the generational mission. I take the pencil and start writing. Dear Diary, Earth is stupid name. Most advanced species and decides to call home planet dirt, mud, soil. All other planets better named, especially Neptune. Even fictional species and homeworlds have better names. I bet the extrasolars have better names. Mother will tell me when she gets back from her meeting with them. I would have gone with her if she had let me. Interstellar travel can't be more dangerous than grade school on planet dirt. I worry I will fail lunch. I can read and write and do a lot of math in my head better than older students, but there is no teacher for lunch, and I can't tell who is the officer of the mess hall. The other students sit in groups, and I can't tell the rules for who sits where and why. I don't actually need to interact with the mess staff. I bring my own bag because female caretaker says I need to ease in to American food. Male caretaker jokes about me eating military rations. I don't know if I need to interact with the students. I find an empty table at the edge of the big room and start eating. Someone approaches me. He is the short boy with glasses who was in my old class before I got moved. Hi. He says, I do not respond. Perhaps I should have reciprocated. Can I join you? My jaw drops before I realize he means to share the table. Mother says only brother can join with me until I'm old enough to know how adults join. I have theories. We'll ask Charlie someday. I close my mouth and nod. Short boy slides a chair to sit across from me. It screeches against the floor polymer like a docking seal that missed and has to shift and scrape. How is Mr. Ferris? I heard he's chill. Having no concept of my new teacher's core temperature, I shrug one shoulder. You know, people are saying that Miss Lou yelled at you for being from Neptune Station, then fainted when your squid came out. What? I think that's kind of cool, he says, then takes a bite, chews once and resumes. Kind of like a guardian that shows up to defend you. Do you watch anime? I don't. I can recommend some. Students' accounts have streaming service. 
I have a vague understanding of anime, but this is not the most pressing point. I don't have a squid. I say the word like it's something icky, something I don't want to pass over my tongue, but I'd rather spit out than swallow. Oh, you're, he pointed to me, at my backpack. Everyone calls them squids, even in the news, they, the Neptunians? I ask. It's a stupid question. I know that's what he means. Yeah, well, my dad says they're not really from Neptune. Not originally. That's how they know how to travel. He shrugs. What do they call themselves? I shake my head. They don't call themselves anything. They don't need to. Oh, so how do you know they don't like to be called squids? I don't have an answer. I take a bite of my MRE. He does not comment on the packaging. You know, my dad says your mom is a hero. I nod. I'd been hearing that a lot. This place called Washington, D.C. keeps talking about heroes. I'll have to ask Charlie. Charlie's full name shows up first with her personal e-contact, Charlotte Campbell. Then the live video feed loads in. It shows Charlie's face and behind her the room. She is sitting at a desk, and she has filled the walls with her posters of ancient rockets and even older guitars. Two of her brother's arms are visible, both draped over her right shoulder. Hey, girl, she says, big smile. Makes me feel warmer than thermocoils in a pressure suit. Hi, Charlie. How you doing, Micah? I heard from your host family that you're having a hard time with school. I nod. A part of me wants to just complain, but another part of me is happy to see her. It's only been days since we last saw each other in person when we landed in the Florida Sea, but I really miss her. Seeing her feels way more like home than I think even an orbital station would. Tell me about it, she says, and looks caring, even though she's still smiling. Charlie is really pretty. Mother calls her the good kind of pretty. I think it's because of her smile. Charlie's hair is short like mine, more efficient for putting on and sealing up helmets. But she has dyed the front of hers purple. This also makes her look more fun, even though Charlie is practically an adult. She'd had a job called apprenticeship back in home by home. She said that this trip to Earth school would be like a little vacation. I don't like the exchange program. I begin and wish I'd started with more context. So I trip over myself, recounting the last few days, including the fight and getting switched out of class and not feeling like I belonged anywhere or with anyone. While I'm talking, I can feel brothers starting to tremble, echoing fear and sadness responses I'd been feeling. I'm sorry, Micah. Have you talked to your host family about it? They seem really nice, and they've both been farther than the moon. Oh, and Mrs. Rasmussen was an exocor, just like your mother. She is right. That caretakers, Rasmussen's, are nice, but still not like home, still not familiar with or comfortable seeing brother. I chew on my lip. Brother reaches one arm to my neck and applies cooling suction. Obvious sign of tension, sensed by symbiote, visible to Charlie. Charlie tilts her head to one side. Sorry, girl. You know, some parts of the adjustment are just going to be hard. Remember Titan Station? Hard at first, but you got through it. I guess, I admit. That's a word Mother uses for when you do something because you kind of have to but really don't want to. What can I help with, Charlie asks, and then tries to answer. We could have calls like this every night if you want, sometime. Or if you need any equipment or programs, I can write to the Rasmussen's. Everyone hates brother here, I tell her. Not really an answer, I know. 
Oh, I'm sure they don't hate your brother, Micah. It's just that she makes a gesture with her hands that means she doesn't know what to say. Look, they don't understand. They haven't really seen or grown up with symbionts like we have. So it's kind of scary and weird to them. After waiting the appropriate amount of time for the transmission, I blurt out, But brother isn't scary, and he can't and won't hurt anyone. Charlie starts to say, I know that, and he's not a squid, I finish, yelling it loudly enough that maybe I upset male caretaker downstairs. Charlie's eyes look concerned. She changes subject a little. Hey, Micah, you know, you don't have to wait for transmission lag here. We're actually at less than a second delay. It's kind of a cool thing about being on the same planet. I say nothing. Look at it this way. You know about something that none of them do. You are friends with something that scares all of them. You are so brave, and they don't know how to be that brave. Ah, Charlie holds up a finger to stop me talking as soon as I start to open my mouth. She's right. No lag. You can't fix that right away, and it's hard. It can be super lonely, girl, but it's only because you're so awesome. You are the single bravest person I know, and you're here on Earth and representing the project in Washington, D.C. That is incredible. I'd rather be in Cape Carnival with you. Charlie smiles again. It's Cape Canaveral, sweetie. It's not a carnival, just another city. And she shakes her head. And there was an agreement about where the Neptune Station kids would live, stay, while the team is away. They only get seven of us to spread between the cooperating nations, and it might be as short as a few months, so... She shrugs. She really doesn't know what to say. Earth is full of politics, and we need to get through the politics to stay in funding. Charlie is saying something like her father likes to say. Mother doesn't even use nice words when talking about politics. Then she tells me not to repeat those words. I still sort of wonder if politics is a bad word. Not enough data. I know it doesn't all make sense, Micah, but this is your mission. Your mother is off on a mission, a really important mission, and you have one, too. I know it's a lot, but I know you can do it. I straighten up. I know I'm sitting, but Mother says I've known how to sit at attention since age two. I nod to Charlie, who is old enough to look like a grown-up. Yes, ma'am. I say, like they do on the station. Actually, like Charlie says to the staff sergeant, I miss the staff sergeant, too. That's what I like to hear. Charlie looks around, then leans in like she's about to tell a secret. I know she's far away, but I lean toward my camera, too. Brother begins to buzz in anticipation, and I can see Charlie's brother arching one arm. And you were totally right for punching anyone who tries to touch your brother. I know Commander Kessler can't answer right now, but she would commend you. She would commend me? I feel so full and happy that I don't even realize I'm crying again until brother comes to collect the tears. Mother used to tell me how lucky I was that I always had someone with me to wipe away the tears, that I would never be alone, that I would be cared for by a symbiote that no one on earth would really understand. Mother is second generation Neptune, first person to even link with three symbiotes at once, so she knows what she's talking about. And I'm third generation Neptune and I'm brave enough for this mission. Dear Diary, Today was better at school. Teacher Ferris is more chill than Teacher Lou. Short boy with glasses sat with me at lunch again. 
His name is Franklin, which he says is better than Frank Jr., which I don't get. He's nice, he's okay about seeing brother now, but a little worried about it too. He's also weird about me being two years younger than him and still taller. When I tried to explain that I might be more than that younger because of time dilation on my trips to Titan and now Earth, he got excited but confused. He said his dad, Frank Sr., knows about time stuff and is part of X-Force and knows more about the Neptune team's mission. Also says it's dangerous for civilians to be on Neptune Station right now just in case of something. I don't know what. Neither does Franklin, really. But I see a lot of stuff about the Transsolar Project and someone named SETI. And there are cartoon images of Neptunians of the symbiotic Xenords. But most people like calling them squids. Franklin says there's good anime, bad anime, and anime he's not allowed to watch, but that good anime shows Neptunians as good guys. I like that. Franklin asks about how brother is connected, why it goes into the spine, if it ever hurts. I get to teach him about it, which is kind of cool. Mr. Royce stops reading the diary entry, sets it down, and looks at me. He is pleasant. Also lets me keep the backpack open while I'm in his office. Doesn't flinch at the sight of brother. Doesn't ask stupid questions, like if he can touch brother. Brother gets to stretch and breathe better when I'm here. Right now is hugging my arm. So, Michaela, he says, does it ever hurt? What? No, I shrug, only if someone tries to take him off. That would be worse than hurting. Exactly, I say. Mother says it's a dual-edged sword. Symbiote attachment is the best way to keep babies safe and variable grave. And with any risk of pressure or temp changes, but it's more dangerous to separate later. Mother was disconnected for three days once and would have lived if she'd stayed disconnected, but said it was the worst days of her life. I see. Charlie says our immune systems won't be able to handle Earth the same without the symbiote. Anyway. Oh, yes, Charlotte Campbell. I actually just talked to a colleague about her. She's thriving in the accelerated program. Sounds like a wonderful influence to have. I heard she's thinking of going to Annapolis, which is really close by. I start to get excited, but Brother notices my wariness and helps keep me in check. Like, visiting soon? No, she's considering it for college next year. Next year? I can feel Brother starting to adjust temperature to compensate for me. I can feel room stop spinning before it starts, dizziness and nausea averted. But we're not going to be here next year, I tell him. We're going home, aren't we? Male caretaker does not try to stop me as I run to my room and slam the door. He calls after. Micah, are you okay? But doesn't try to follow. Then I hear him say something frustrated that I'm not supposed to repeat. A little while later, he's on the phone. Hi, Nell. Pause. No, I think something new happened. Well, I didn't really get a chance to ask her, but I haven't heard anything from the school. No, it might be better for her to talk to you. She's just more comfortable with you, that's all. I'll check on her, but, well, Nell... She's probably listening to everything I'm saying anyway with the symbiote. He isn't wrong. I go to the computer, turn on to try to call Charlie, but she's offline. Try anyway, but she's really offline. I input clearance codes and open long-range communication. Don't care if it's hours delayed or if Mother won't be the first to see it. I can still record and send something. But there's a banner on Neptune Station saying, Not receiving at this time. It suggests I send to Io or 
Titan Station, the waypoints while we can't contact Neptune. Then I do the thing the caretaker keeps telling me not to do. I go to the search bar. I look for exchange program and confirm not real exchange program. No one exchanged. No one sent to Neptune in our place. I search for Neptune Station and the Transolar Project. I look for the symbiotes and the SETI and the classified things about Mother. Commander Kessler is a hero, it tells me. And she is leading a team on a commission made possible by Neptune's station and Neptunians by symbiotes like Brother. But where she's traveling and how far away and how long is classified. Brother is twitching nervously, does not know how to help, can only alter endocrine systems so much, cannot rewrite thoughts with the chemistry. Tries, though, so busy with blood pressure and adrenaline reg that can't even catch tears. Micah? Voice of female caretaker. She opens the door. I continue search. Harder to see, though. Am shaking. Whole body. Micah. She rushes to me and pivots my chair. Honey, what's wrong? I don't know what I say, and I don't know if I make any sense. I tried to tell her about the long stay and it not being a real exchange program and how I can't contact the station and how Mother is gone and where is she and is she coming back? Then female caretaker says, come here, and puts her arms around me. She squeezes me and the being on my back. Brother doesn't mind. In fact, brother misses hugs. What happened? she asks. I just want to go home. Oh, honey, I know. I'm sorry we can't make it easier here. I wipe my nose and look up at her. Nell Rasmussen, female caretaker, is not as pretty as Charlie and not mother, but she looks sincere. So I ask her, How long? She exhales long enough that I know she'll tell the truth, even though she doesn't want to answer. Honey, we just don't know. Your mother and the transolar team and all of the Neptunians who went with them, they have gone on a farther and stranger journey than even your flight here. And it's hard to say if it'll be a day, a week, or even months before we hear from them again. I miss Mother, and I don't like it here. I don't like wearing the backpack or hiding brother or having no one understand what it's like to have a real brother instead of just another kid living near you. You know, I'm sure the first people to Neptune Station didn't like it there either. I give her a questioning look. No, really. That was 50 years ago, almost as old as I am. But that was in the early days of Beyond Belt exploration. Their rockets were bad, she said, shaking her head with a grimace like she was about to spit out spinach, whose vacuum pack had leaked. And they even took one apart to make the station. So they were stuck there, and it felt so alone, so dark, and so cold. But if they hadn't stayed there and completed their mission, they never would have met Neptunians and found symbiotes. Brother has mostly relaxed now. One of his arms is wrapped around Nell Rasmussen's wrist, gently urging her to stay and accepting her comfort. They made it work, she says, and things got better. Your mother is making something incredible happen that only a few people really know about. But no matter how weird it is, she will make it work. And Micah, you are one of those pioneers I know that you can make it work, too. Dear Mother, Avoided a fight at school today. Would have made you proud. Little native earth girl, same one, saw me walking through hall this morning and called out, Ew, put the squid away. They snickered. I paused. I walked back to her, then took off the backpack. Let it drop to the floor. Let brother slide out. 
invited Brother with a thought to rap like he would normally. One true arm over the front of each of my shoulders, one amorphous arm on either side of my neck. I smiled at little native earth girl. Her face went white. I told her, The squid is my brother. Then turned and walked away, letting her and everyone see brother, just like we do on the station, out of the hole in the back of my shirt. They cannot tell me I need to put it away. I am an ambassador for Neptune Station, taking my mission seriously. Don't know where you are, when you'll be back. Miss you. But I have a mission, too. We'll make you proud. Love, Michaela Kessler. I admit that probably was a weird type of story, but it was fun to read, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to let me know, please drop a line to beyond3x5 at gmail.com. We have a little bit of time left and a second story that's only five pages long. It's called A Word of Power, written by David Farland. When you are the wise woman of a village, Fava thought, people believe you know everything. They want your counsel when there is an agreement about who killed an aurochs or if there's an argument the one who threw the first spear into its gut, or the one who finished it off. They want you to heal festering wounds. This morning, Chupa had come crying copious tears, pleading for Fava to bring her husband back to life. Fava had to explain that doing so would require greater magic than she had. She could only provide a tea made with blue bergamot flowers to give Chupa courage and to numb her grief. Now this. Bava was busy in her small hut made of mammoth tusks, covered in hide. She'd been grinding roots to make a tincture to prevent wounds from festering when Thantok rushed in. He was a brute with a soft, gravelly voice and brows so deep his eyes peered out from beneath the sockets like smoldering blue fires. Thantok stood panting in the doorway, out of breath, and said, Trouble. He loved to bring bad news. He stood propped by a spear after a long run, hair shining red in the sunlight, clamshell bangles on his wrist gleaming like bone. Thantok held the unwelcome news on his tongue as if it tasted delicious. But before she could ask more, he explained, They are stealing our mammoths, all of them. For a hundred generations, certain humans had poached from the Neanderthal. The Bear Clan and Rhino Clan were gone, like so many others. Her Mammoth Clan had fled north to escape, abandoning warmer climes. But some newer human tribes were hungry, slinking about, feasting on other people's meals, not like the Neanderthals. Each Neanderthal clan had stuck to its ancient territory, taking sustenance from their totem animals. Most clans harvested meat for food, fur for warmth, and bones for weapons. They did not hunt another clan's totems. This kept harmony among the Neanderthals. Fava's people had maintained peace with some human tribes, but this new one ignored such boundaries. Other hunters raced up behind Thantok, and a dozen gathered there. So some humans were stealing their mammoths. She imagined them, weak creatures painted in red mud with their long spears, and she smiled. Mother Qua will not allow it. Qua was the matriarch of the last mammoth herd, far older than any Neanderthal and wiser than any human. She knew how to avoid their pits and spears. Thantok grinned, eager to le- deliver more bad news. It is not humans that drive the mammoths. It is something terrible. It is men made of metal, like this. He pointed to an ingot of silver Fava wore on a thong around her neck. She frowned. 
metal? Men of metal? Neither Neanderthals nor humans? They do not really drive the mammoths, Thantak warned. The herd merely follows them. When you are the wise woman, everyone comes for counsel, Faba thought. But deep in her chest, despair welled. She knew much, but she did not know everything. Even the oldest who had lived a lifetime could not know all. Some things she did know. She knew how to talk, mammoth. She had learned it from the wise woman before her. You are destined for greater things, the old woman had said, when Fava at eight had mastered the first call. Fava had learned to reproduce mammoth words by trumpeting and swaying and pretending to flap her ears. Over time, she'd learned to speak with the matriarch mammoth, Kwa, whose name meant grandmother in the tongue of the clan. Mammoths were wiser than other monstodons, as wise as Neanderthals. It was the grandmother who gave permission to take an old member of the herd who was dying or feeble. In return, the clan honored the mammoths and protected them from other predators, both wolf and human. I will talk with grandmother, Baba said, perplexed. Take your magic. Thantok urged, You may have to kill these men of silver. Fava braised her brows in disagreement. It was too soon to talk of war, but he was right. She might need magic, real magic. She might need to speak a word of power to crush these creatures. She reached out around her and pulled magic from the air, invisible filaments that felt like spider webs grabbing her arms binding her heart. When she'd gathered it all, the word of power crouched in her throat like a cat in a tree, ready to pounce, and she nodded to the hunters. Let's go. The journey to the hunting fields took many hours of running. The whole village followed, even mothers with babes. It was a long run, even for Fava and her Neanderthal clan. Along the way, she kept gathering magic, focusing on a great word of power. Would she slash the silvermen or crush them or make them grow heavy and fall through some ice? What was the best way to destroy such creatures? Was there a way? An icy wind blew from the glaciers that crawled along the valleys, chilling the sweat on her forehead, making her lungs burn. Even though the grass was lush and flycatchers fluttered about snapping up critics, crickets and mosquitoes, the sun seemed sickly as it dropped for the day. It died a solemn death, as if it would never rise again. Fava worried. Other clans had passed away, become no more. Why not hers? Had these silver men brought a disaster that she could not recover from? Some among the group suggested that they go back to the warm lands in the south. Though Fava knew that life is like a river and only flows one way, there can be no going back. When darkness crept up from the shadows to swallow the land, she spotted the first sign of the intruders. There was a tall silver tree, higher than the hills in the distance, catching the last red rays of the sun. They came in that, Thantok said, pointing his spear. It is a boat that sails through the sky. Thanatar had not warned her of this. Always withholding more than he reveals, Fava felt awed by the intruder's power. As the clan raced through a valley between icy glaciers, they came upon metal men marching through the dusk. They did not look evil or craven, they were shiny and walked beside the mammoths like friends, neither driving them desperately from behind nor leading them as a mother duck guides its hatchlings. The grandmother herself led the way. Fava stopped, wondering what to do. Should I try to crush the metal men? She didn't know how much energy that would require. 
She would have to focus hard to drop boulders on each man with pinpoint accuracy. She bent her will, began to form the word crush. Let's try the easy way first. She stood and swayed from side to side, her hands low and waving like a trunk, then reared her head and trumpeted in mammoth. No follow. Grandmother halted. The silver men stopped. Grandmother trumpeted, We go. Fava's eyes followed Qua's trunk waved toward the skyship. Fava wanted to argue, to urge the mammoths to stay, but to her surprise, the silver man beside Grandmother raised a metal staff in the air. A small golden light issued from it. The man spoke in perfect mammoth, trumpeting, Come. The word hit her with such force, Fava staggered. It was like being hit by a fierce wind from nowhere, both compelling and remarkably gentle. She imagined rocks hurtling from the gloom and crushing metal bodies. She prepared her spell. She glanced around. The ice cliffs above. She could call down boulders of ice. Fava prepared the word of power, but the silver men spoke faster. Come. Though it was but one word in mammoth, it held layers of nuances. Come, my friend. Join the herd. Be at peace. They raised their staves, and the golden light shone like glowing eyes in the dusk. And suddenly, light filled her mind. The heavens darkened instantly, and she saw stars, more than she'd ever imagined, fierce, piercing her heart. Come to the stars. At once, she recalled her mentor's voice, promising, You were meant for greater things. She beheld the metal men's designs. They had not come to kill the mammoth. They had come to rescue, to lead them to a new home, far away. And now they were calling her, too. In her mind, Fava glimpsed a distant world, one where pastures grew green and thick, a new home in the stars, a better place than she'd ever imagined. She realized it was a word of power greater than others, more potent than any weapon she could imagine. Come to the stars, my friends. Lay down your weapons and come. Well, thank you for listening to me today. I appreciate it, and I hope that I entertained you enough with these two stories beyond 3x5 at gmail.com I hope to hear from you real soon thank you and I'll see you next week <laughs>